but we are one in the body of Christ. Yes. Right? That's right. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. Hey, uh, welcome to The Vine. I'm Zach, and um, if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it, and we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 12. We won't, we're not going to dive in right away, but um, you might want to just grab it and fire that up to 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 4. 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 4. Uh, I want to give a quick announce, announcement this morning. Some of you may have seen uh, on Slack just the update on video, and uh, I just will do that here verbally again about some leadership suggestions that we have. So at the Vine, we are governed uh, in a lot of different ways, in different realms of leadership, but primarily through elders and deacons. That's what the Bible calls uh, elders, those who lead and feed and guide the church. And then deacons are those that are kind of like lead servants at the church. And, and here we, we, we say that deacons um, are lead servants over maybe like a specific area of service. And we have some suggestions for some new leaders this morning. And we want to make a practice at the Vine of receiving feedback from you guys, just like a good family. Um, maybe mom and dad would initiate something and they want to get feedback from the kids, or you can pick your analogy. The point is we want your feedback. And so uh, we are suggesting uh, John Centineo to become a full elder at the Vine. He's finished the eldership development process and the eldership candidacy process for a year. And as full elders, we would like to recommend him, but we want to hear from you. What do you guys think? Uh, do you have any feedback about John that, that we need to hear? And so we want to give you two weeks to give us that before he would be installed as a full elder. And then in addition, we have Justin Eccles, and he has finished the elder development process. And we are considering him and suggesting him to begin the elder candidacy phase, where you would just be a, an elder candidate, not a full elder, for a year. And he's checking us out, and we're checking him out, and just trying to figure out, is this a good fit? And uh, we also want your feedback on that. If you have any concerns with that, please come talk to any of the full elders, so myself or Michael or, or James. Um, on the deacon front, um, Stan Van Arsen has served so faithfully for a number of years. I think uh, it's five, Stan? About five years as a finance deacon, uh, a very important behind-the-scenes role here at the church, making sure we are moving forward with financial integrity, and uh, Stan has done a phenomenal job at that, and he's transitioning out of that role into some other areas of service here at the church. And so he is recommending, so first of all, we want to thank Stan. Let's thank Stan right now. Yeah. And, um, and he is suggesting Jonathan Burdett to kind of take over for him in this new role, probably starting January 1st as deacon over finance at the Vine. And so again, we just want your feedback on that. Is there any feedback you have on that? And it doesn't have to be negative. It can be positive. Yeah, I love Jonathan. I see he's faithful. I trust him. Yeah, if you say that, we, we would love to hear that. Um, and then finally, just a heads up, um, when it comes to our full elders, David Jordan has been a full elder for, I think, almost five years now as well. And he's just doing an elder sabbatical. And there's nothing weird about that. It's just very normal, and it's very biblical for people to pursue rest. He's been serving very faithfully um, at our church, and he just needs the season to not serve in that way for the sake of rest and recuperation, uh, for the sake of 
the long haul, right? If you're running a marathon, sometimes you need to stop and walk. Sometimes you might need to stop all together for the sake of crossing the finish line. And so having sabbaticals, uh, any Epic employees in the room, you understand that that's a big deal and that's really cool, right? Uh, sabbaticals are a good thing. Biblically, it's very true. And so that's what David is doing right now. And, um, and so if you see him, you can thank him as well and encourage him in his time of rest, all right? Well, we are going to be in 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 4. And um, is Naomi here? Naomi, let's, let's just read this text right off the bat here this morning. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between Spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that um, we would come underneath it in humility. Lord, we pray that we would receive your word in such a way that it impacts our hearts this morning. Pray you protect us from hard heart. Pray that you would soften our hearts. Pray that you would shine your light um, so that the heat of your word would not harden, but that it would soften. And Lord, we thank you for your word, that you would speak to us as God of the universe, reveal yourself to us, and give us such a gift to receive from you for the sake of your glory and for the sake of our joy. May it drive deep in our hearts this morning, Lord. Um, may your spirit be alive among us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So do we have any Lord of the Rings fans in the room? Yes? All right. Now it's kind of in vogue to be Lord of the Rings fan if you're a Christian in the last 20 years. And... Pastors abound with illustrations, so I'm going to join that, that preacher's core of sermon illustrations. But I'm just going to say this. If you're not down with Lord of the Rings and Frodo, you need to repent and believe. Okay? <laughs> so let's just get that out of the way. So for those of you who are in the journey of repentance, um, in terms of Lord of the Rings, here's the thing. Uh, let me bring you up to speed. There's this little guy. He's a hobbit. And his name is Frodo. Cute little guy. And he's been entrusted... Hairy feet and all with, um, hobbits have hairy feet. I don't know if you didn't know that. Maybe you did. Anyway, um, he's been entrusted with taking the ring of power, this ring that corrupts everyone and everything. No one can handle it. Human nature can't handle it. No other mythical creature from Middle Earth can handle it. And so he's been entrusted, uh, long story, short version, with taking this ring to Mordor. From the paradise of the Shire, uh, where hobbits live and, and, and enjoy their existence in this paradise. 
And he's got to go to the opposite of that, which is hell on Middle Earth in Mordor, right? And this journey is an epic journey. It's three movies worth of journey, right? And so they get going along on this journey. Frodo and Samwise Gamgee and Gimli and Legolas and Aragorn and Boromir and um, uh, Pippin and Mary and Pippin. Who, am I forgetting anybody? Gandalf. Gandalf. What the heck? I, was, I struggled in the first service, and we had some scholars in the room helping me out. So we'll see if you guys are up to speed. So they, they stop. Do you guys remember where they stopped the little elvish, um, like, pit stop? What's it called? The Lothlorien. There we go. There's two. Yes, there's two. But they stop in Lothlorien to get gifts. Stay with me now. We're, this is, is going to drive home to the text. <laughs> they stop in Lothlorien, and why? Or they, I can't remember why, but the point of this illustration is that the high queen elf, Galadriel, she has this kind of ceremony with Frodo and his friends where she entrusts them with some gifts. And Frodo gets like the super magic elvish flashlight. Right, And Sam gets this um, magical elvish rope, and Legolas gets a perfectly crafted bow uh, because he's an archer, and Gimli gets three locks of Galadriel's hair. And everyone gets a specific gift from Galadriel, and Galadriel, in her authority... And in her wisdom, she knows what these guys are going to need for the journey. And she gives a diversity of gifts for the sake of the accomplishment of the journey. And as you read the books or watch the movies, you see that these gifts come in handy all along the way and contribute to the furtherance of their mission of taking this ring to Mordor. Right? Unique and diverse gifts, but the same mission and each gift that is given is used to contribute to the accomplishment of this mission they've been given. Now, this illustration gets at the heart of what our text is all about today, okay? Another facet of how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. And that's what we've been. We've been in a 10-week series on the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? What's the Holy Spirit all about? And how does the Holy Spirit work in our lives through the church? And today we're going to be looking at the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how are we to understand their function in our lives and our collective lives together in the church. So let's look at this text that Naomi read for us this morning. Starting in verse 4, we're just going to start with 4, 5, and 6. Look at it with me. Now, there are varieties of gifts but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Now, we talk about this a lot as um, what's called a hermeneutical principle. That's just a fancy way of saying how to interpret something. A, A great principle of interpreting your Bible or understanding what's going on in the text is to look for repetition. And we see some consistent repetition in these, in these three verses, right? Varieties of gifts, same spirit. Varieties of service, same Lord. Varieties of activities, same 
God. So what is Paul doing here? We've got this repetition of variation, but sameness. See that? I think the emphasis for Paul here in these verses is on the sameness, though. The diversity is important, but, but, but he's saying the same God, the same giver, the same spirit, the same Lord. What does that clue us into? He's, he's, he's trying to show us that we're all gifted in unique, different ways, but the giver is the same. All empowered differently, same giver. Now, why would that matter? Why would Paul spend three verses to just kind of use this repetition to kind of drill it into the first audience's head here and ours as well? Why is he doing this? Well, I think what this boils down to is kind of a classic my dad can beat up your dad scenario, okay? And the reason why I would say that is because earlier on in the book, you can see Paul is writing to an ancient group of believers in the city of Corinth, and they've got a lot of problems. This is a messed up church. A lot of times we glamorize the early church, Acts chapter 2, and that was really beautiful. But the early church also was really messed up. And if you read the book of Corinthians, you'll see that. One of the ways they were messed up is they had factions. They were, they were divided among themselves, chapter 3, chapter 4, you'll see it, based on allegiances to certain leaders, like a certain group in the church was saying, well, I'm down with Apollos, and he's the man. Or I'm down with Peter, he's the man. Or I'm, I'm following Paul, or I was baptized by Paul. So, man, our crew, and we've got it together, and we've kind of got a big head based on this human teacher that we follow in association with him. And Paul writes to them in chapters 3 and 4 and says, you guys got to knock that off. It's not about any human teacher who you're aligned with. These, fract- uh, these, these factions are dividing the church. It's not about that. It's not about some human teacher you're aligned with. It's about God. And are you aligned with him? That's the issue. God is the source. So no one should have a big head about some association that you have. Because God is overall. God is the source of all. You being aligned with God is the biggest deal. What's that got to do with this verse or these verses? Well, consider if you guys in this section were all recipients of some, like you, you go into the Oprah show and you got a car from Oprah, right? Because Oprah is like so cool. And this group over here, you know, got something from somebody, but it wasn't as cool as Oprah. And this group over here got something from your neighbor down the street and he didn't really care. Everybody would have like some different experience of receiving gifts from someone different. And this group, in the Oprah group, might be, oh, she's a celebrity, and she gave us a car, so we think we're all that. I mean, that's kind of the idea here. And Paul is saying, you can't get a big head and suddenly look down on others because the gift that you've received is, the perception is that it's that much more significant based on who you got the gift from. See what I'm saying? Like, if I got a gift from the governor of Wisconsin... And called me into his office and said, hey, Zach, I want to give you this gift. As governor, here's this gift I want to give you. And you got a gift from the lieutenant governor. It would be tempting to me just kind of get a little bit of a big head because I got my gift from the highest authority in the land. And you got the second in command. It's, like, it's subtle, and none of us would ever say that out loud or confess it, but that's in our hearts. And it's, it was in the hearts of these people in Corinth. 
If, if my dad can beat up your dad, I take pride in the fact that I'm aligned with my dad. He's my dad. We're family, right? And Paul is trying to cut the heart out of this kind of pride that destroys unity and creates division in the church. What is he saying? He's saying the emphasis on the sameness of the giver. We've all been given gifts from the highest authority in the land. All of us. There's no distinction between those who have received. There's only one giver, and it's God the Holy Spirit. So there's no room for a big head. We've all received from the same person. All of us. And he is the ultimate giver. So the point here is this. We have a diversity of gifts in the church. But the giver is the same. See that repetition of sameness sameness in 4, 5, and 6? So no pride, no pride, but only thankfulness, okay? No pride, only thankfulness. And, and how about gratitude, too? Anytime you receive a gift, what's the appropriate response? It's gratitude, right? So no big head, thankfulness, gratitude. Let's keep reading. Verse 7. To each is given, there's an emphasis on giving again, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So no pride is allowed, but what is allowed? No pride is allowed. What is allowed? What is allowed is a vision for generosity with our gifts. See that in verse 7? A vision for generosity with our gifts. Why were your gifts given to you? So that we could be selfish with them. No. So that we could hide them in insecurity. No. So we could just pick a certain group of people in the church and try to bless those people with our gifts. No. That's not what it says, is it? What are our gifts from the Holy Spirit for? It says it right here that they are for the common good. The Holy Spirit gives us each gifts that are to be used for the common good. What that means is for the church. He's writing to an ancient church in Corinth and saying, use your gifts for the sake of blessing the beauty and the furtherance of the local church. Make it strong. Make it united. Make it beautiful. Make it function really, really well. Let's be united together and strong through this overlap of our diversity. You feel that? So let me me give you another scenario. Let's say you were invited to Aaron Rodgers' house. And and he wrote you a letter and he said, I want you to come to my house because I'm going to give you a gift. And you get there. And he sits you down and he says, here's my Super Bowl ring. I want you to have it. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to sell it and I want you to use that money to bless as many people as you possibly can. Have at it. Now, how would you respond? First of all, you would be probably completely blown away that Aaron Rodgers would pick you to come to his house and he would give you such a unique gift as a Super Bowl ring, right? And second, in light of that, you would probably take that request of his very seriously. You probably wouldn't blow him off and just put that ring on your shelf in your house and invite your friends over. Hey, let me tell you this crazy story. Aaron Rodgers wrote me a letter, invited me to his house, gave me a Super Bowl ring. Check out the ring. No, you'd take him seriously on what he asked you to do with that, right? He gave a gift and expected you to use it based on his desires for it, what he communicated, right? 
Well, if we think about what the Bible says here, it should land on us with a healthy amount of sobriety, but also excitement. Here's the deal. We don't serve Aaron Rodgers. We serve the God of the universe, right? And the Holy Spirit, as God, is so much more significant than a professional football player. And in the same way, as the illustration, the Bible says here that the most important person in the universe has done what? He's selected you. He's written you a letter. Come to my house. I have a gift for you. In fact, you already have it. And I want you to use it. What's the language of this verse? I want you to make manifestation. I want you to make it tangible. I want you to make it visible. Why? Because it's a manifestation of God himself. A manifestation of the Spirit. God wants to be known. From cover to cover of the Bible, we see God has an agenda to be known. And this is a small way that that happens. He says, when you use your gifts that I have given you, you make God, the Holy Spirit, visible through you, through the gifts that he's given. See that? We make God visible, tangible, manifest. We make the God of the universe, the Holy Spirit, look really good, powerful, notable when we use our gifts. So what should the application be? Well, one of the points of application should be when you see someone operating in their gifts in this church, how should we respond to that? I think it should cause us to worship. Because anytime in the Bible when you see a manifestation of God, worship oftentimes is the result. So in this verse, we hear that when you see someone operating in their gifts, that's not just some normal thing. Like when you see musicians up front here operating in their gifts, that's just like, oh, it's just music at the vine, whatever. No, the Bible says that's a manifestation of the Spirit. That gifting didn't originate with them. It originated with God. And God is alive and visible when you see someone operating in their gifts. So it's not just some ho-hum thing. It should be something that's like, wow, I see God in you. That's beautiful. Just the fact that the Bible says we can see that and experience that. What a gift, right? Going one step further, so maybe we start with worship, that God would manifest himself through us. That's the vertical approach. How about a horizontal approach as well? So if you see someone operating in their gifts, it's nice to say thank you, and I want to commend that to us. Let's, let's, let's thank Stan for his years when you see him after the service. When you see someone serving your kids, man, thank him. When you see someone setting up tech stuff, thank it, or whatever, there's a thousand ways we can be thankful. But it's maybe beyond just saying thankful, in accordance with this, we want to be truly biblical, you could say, you know what, when you're serving, I see the Lord in you. I see God in you. I see the manifestation of the Spirit. When, you, when your city group leader gathers you together and he faithfully or she faithfully leads you, you could say, man, I see the spiritual gift of leadership in you. And that's a gift from God himself that's alive in your life. Be encouraged because I see that. It's beautiful because it takes our attention to the Lord and not necessarily to the gift, but it also makes that person feel encouraged 
when you say, man, I see God's, God's spirit all over you. That's really encouraging, right? So it gives glory to God and it gives joy to the person. And when we collectively have relationships where that's happening all, all over the place, man, I see the manifestation of the spirit that you're using for the common good of this church. And that's going to unite us. That's going to strengthen us. You feel that? Let's keep reading. Verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now there's a lot we could say about this text that we probably don't have time for this morning. One of the things I think is important to note is that in my adult life as a Christian, in certain sections of of Christianity, cultural Christianity, we've made a really big deal out of individual gifting. And that's a good thing. I think it's really, that's what we're talking about this morning. But I think the downside is we've misinterpreted this text. And a lot of times this kind of text is presented as this is the exhaustive list of gifts. And if, if it's not on this list, well, then it doesn't exist. And for a lot of reasons I won't get into this morning, scholars believe that Paul's not here writing an exhaustive list of the only gifts that are present for you to have. Um, there's other lists of gifts throughout the Bible, one in Romans and some other places. And you get the impression, based on the way in which he's writing, is he's just giving examples. This isn't intended to be an exhaustive list. This is just illustrating. And the point that I want you to see is not that the gifts themselves are what he wants to draw our attention to. He wants to draw our attention to something else. And it's that repeated word over and over again, starting in verse 8. Did you see it? It's the word spirit. His point is not for there to be individual teaching on the exhaustive nature of spiritual gifts in the church. And it's this and it's this and this and there's no other ones. No, what he's saying is it's all from the Holy Spirit. Any gift that you see in someone alive in the local church for the sake of the flourishing of the church, that comes from the Holy Spirit. See it? He's saying the Spirit gives this. The Spirit gives this. The Spirit gives this. The Spirit gives this. He's all about helping people understand where these gifts come from. They come from the Spirit. We are not the originator of these gifts. Don't get a big head. The Holy Spirit is the originator. So that should humble us and cause us to be really thankful, right? Humble us and cause us to to, to be really thankful. So if it comes from the Holy Spirit, this is the other thing that I think helps us really take this seriously, is I'm going to double back on this in a second. The wording gets a little tricky, but let me say it like this for now. The, the things that come naturally to you, don't think about them as natural in this limited sense. Think about them as supernatural. Because that's what the Bible says they are. If you have a desire to disciple kids in next gen, and you're good at that, and you find joy in that, that didn't originate just from evolution. That originated from God himself. He put that in you. If you have an aptitude to, 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 to sing or to do music, like that didn't just originate 
from you being awesome. That originated from God, from his spirit. If you show hospitality to people in the church or in your neighborhood and you find joy in that and that's just a knee-jerk reaction for you to want to love people through hospitality, that came from the Holy Spirit. So that gifting of hospitality that seems really normal and simple and natural, that's supernatural. So if, if you have a supernatural gift, because the Bible says it is, then let's be thankful, let's be humble, and let's use it. So let's get really practical now. Some of you in this room know how God has wired you to uniquely serve the local church for the sake of its flourishing, for the sake of the church being on mission to make disciples and plant churches among neighbors and nations. And we see you and we celebrate you. And I could, you know, I've I've named Stan this morning, but I could name a hundred other people that we see and we go, man, thank you for your service at this church. And we see it, we see the supernatural, we see God all over your life. Let's just keep at it. Let's keep at it. That's a lot of you in this room. Some of you in this room are still kind of in process. You're not really sure how God has wired you. Maybe you're a little younger, haven't, don't have as much life experience. Or you're still just working through, man, how am, how am I called to be a blessing for the common good? How am I called to help the church flourish and thrive in Madison and among the nations? And if that's who you are this morning, there's, again, there's a ton we could say here. But let me just give you two simple things that I want to leave you with that I commend to you to help you move along in that journey of being able to thrive in the local church. And the first one is this. Let me go back to the natural, supernatural. Now I'm using the word natural in, in, a, in a more positive light. What comes naturally to you? What do you do without thinking? If you could write your own job description for how you think you are wired for the sake of joy, what would be on that list? Like, where do you just gravitate naturally? Is it maybe if you just gravitate towards, man, I have a desire to invite people to my home and feed them. Like, that's probably some type of a hospitality gifting. I just find that when I get in a group of people, I just, I feel like people kind of look to me as the leader and I just kind of want to lead we probably have some type of gift of leadership. If you hear the call to like um, the, the work day at church and you, you just want to go serve behind the scenes, um, you probably have the gift of, of service in some capacity. So what, what comes just naturally out of you? That's important to recognize. That's like an intern, what we call an internal sense of call. In addition, there should be an external sense of call. And what that means is we try to humble ourselves enough to look at someone that we love and that we trust and that knows us really well, and we ask that person, I feel like I have this internal sense of call. Do you affirm this in my life? Do you see this in my life? And it's got to be someone who, who's, who's not afraid to like have a hard conversation with you, right? Um, and someone that you really trust and will submit to their judgment or listen to their judgment. So ask them. Ask, maybe it's a mom or a dad. Maybe it's a roommate. Uh, maybe it's a brother or sister, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a coworker, and just ask them, have the humility. It feels scary, right? Because a lot of times we want certain gifts, and if we ask and they say no, then we're going to be crushed. You know what I mean? But what we're trying to do is prevent the horribly awkward American Idol scenario. You with me? Where there's an internal sense of call, but millions of people watching on TV don't have a, aren't giving an external sense of call. 
You see what I'm saying? Like the gift of music isn't there. And they needed to have parents come in and say to that 17-year-old, honey, you have a lot of gifts, but singing is not one of them. Let's go in this direction, right? That's, that's an important part of this process is having the humility to hear from those that know you and love you. And, and what do they say? So, we, so think about an internal sense of call and also an external sense of call as you're trying to figure out how am I wired best to serve the local church to make sure that it flourishes, the common good. I would just say this as, as well in closing. If, if you're still on that journey and you're not even sure how to plug in at the Vine, um, ask your city group leader. They can help you. Ask me. Um, ask uh, someone that you see serving already. Hey, I see you're serving a next gen. How do I get involved with that? Um, there's lots of different ways that we need all hands on deck. And that's what I want to say in closing. If you say you're a Christian... It's impossible to say that you're apathetic toward Jesus' bride. You can't say you love Jesus and be apathetic towards his bride. Now, that might be new metaphor language to some of you. The Bible says that, that the church, the gathering, the local gathering of God's people are called the bride of Christ. Jesus laid down his life for his people so that... He could save a people unto himself and be perfectly united with them. And so the Bible talks a lot about the church as the bride of Christ. Jesus loves his bride so much, so much so that he laid down his life for her, the church. And so since that's the case, the church or, or local formal organized church is God's mission strategy in the world. So the application is, if you love Jesus, you have to be connected to his bride. Another metaphor might be, there's no such thing as a wallflower Christian. Right? There's no such thing as a Christian who stands on the sidelines and doesn't get involved in the game. A, a Christian who just comes to consume what the church has to offer, but doesn't serve, like our verse in verse 7 says this morning, for the common good of the church in any way. Now, the modern evangelical church has not done us any favors with the emphasis on just come and consume and not a calling to serve. A lot of, a lot of church culture said, wants to entice, get people in the door, just get people sitting in the seats, and check out all the amazing stuff we have to offer you. And that might be good to a degree, but it cuts the heart out of Christianity. It cuts the heart out of this text if we sinfully enable people to just consume Christian services and not be engaged in the actual act of being a disciple of Jesus that's going to lay down his or her life for the furtherance of the local church on mission in the world today. So there's lots of new people at the Vine. And that's just who we've always been, you know. Uh, people come and they go. They come for grad school and they move away. They come to work at Epic and they move away or whatever the scenario is. We always have lots of new people. And that's good. We count that as a privilege as part of our DNA. And if you're just checking us out, that's cool. There's, there's room for that. 
But if you know this is where you want to land as a church, we just want to call you to consider this text this morning and get in the membership class and, and formalize your association and then get in the game to see your gifts used for the sake of God's glory and your joy of beginning to participate in the Holy Spirit being alive in your life in the local church. You don't have to be on this team, but you do need to be on a team. You don't have to be in this family, but you do need to be, on a, be in a family if you say you're a Christian. So we just want to call you to engage. Now, some of you, going back to David Jordan as an elder on sabbatical, some of you are in an intentional season of rest. And that's another sermon for another day. But if you're not in an intentional season of rest, which is very important, all of us are called to get in the game with our gifts that are uniquely given by the Holy Spirit for the sake of flourishing of God's mission strategy in the world, the church. Let's pray. Father, would you help us We thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that um, we can take it seriously and that you love us so much to give it to us. Lord, we thank you for the cross and the resurrection that reminds us that we can trust you and that when you say something is good, it is good. And so may we have that posture towards your word this morning. We thank you so much for how we have seen your body here in this church Operating in such beautiful ways, Lord. I'm so thankful for so many servants working in the area of their gifts to make this church flourish. And so may it continue, Lord. We ask that it would just continue into the future. And may it not just be here. May it be every church in the city that, that desires to be faithful to you. And so may, may, may Madison just be radiating with spirit-filled, Jesus-loving missional churches that want to make disciples. And may it, may it happen through people laying down their lives for what you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen.